Would it be the the marquee? Marquee. Marquis Marquis? would be the French, the French way, yes. But I think I think I think we say the Marquis is 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 the, is the anglicized version of it. Yes. Oh, I like that. And the fourth? Are you truly the fourth, or are you just uh, no, fourth time no. doing it? It just it just seemed like a a fun number to pick on. Three looks like I. <laughs> and six makes you Henry of whatever. Exactly. Exactly. My, my, I've got a beheaded wife upstairs somewhere. If I have. It's not that. What about the eighth? Is it not the eighth? Henry, Henry the eighth, Henry the eighth but he wives. had six wives. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Sorry, I'm not good at math. That's why I'm in recruiting. <laughs> this is history, I think. But but history, um, ancient history in the states is what happened 133 years ago, right? So uh, the scale the scale is a little bit different sometimes. Marcus, we we don't even we don't even count what happened in January as real history. So don't don't worry about it. It'll be fine in the states. <laughs> Okay. Well, they, my dad used to joke when we lived in the States when I was a kid was uh, um, uh, international news is what happened in the uh, next door city. <laughs> I think that counts. Actually think so that like counts. Jersey City compared to Manhattan basically is international news. That's right. Why do I care about that? That's across the Hudson. <laughs> exactly. That's right. It's not even real news anyway. It's not even real news. All right. Are you guys ready to do this? Drop. Here we go. Welcome to the CXR channel, our premier podcast for talent acquisition and talent management. Listen in as the CXR community discusses a wide range of topics focused on attracting, engaging, and retaining the best talent. We're glad you're here. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the CXR podcast. If you are new to us, this is, well, this edition is mostly live. Uh, we're doing a slight pre-recording. You could call it a delay. Uh, I'm coming at you live from a slightly different location, so we're going to do a little recording and put it out there. So there won't be any live chat today, uh, but you are welcome to comment uh, on anywhere that you may be watching this. You can see it at cxr.org podcast, or you might see it on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, or even YouTube. Uh, so you can add your comments there, share your profile. We'll be sure to connect with you. I'm excited about uh, today's show, not just because uh, I'm in a different location, but we've got a guest who I think has been on the show before. Uh, but we're going to talk about a fun topic of transparency. But let me ask you, Marcus, how are you today? I'm very well indeed. Thanks for asking, Chris. Uh, we don't have quite we don't have quite the weather you have in your background there, but it's it's not bad for our sort of summer standards. When we have some sunshine coming, at least, shall we say? That's great. I'm actually sitting, uh, I'm sitting in the middle of a patio in the jungle in Costa Rica. Oh, wow. Well, that, Bro that's broadcasting on a hotspot. Nice. Yeah, broadcasting on a hotspot. And then I'm going to, let's pull in from the green room all the way from New Jersey, Mr. Jerry Crispin. <laughs> nice to be here. I'm the only one in the United States that's here, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm trying to be in between you two. When we go big, we go, big, we go home, apparently. <laughs> So, Marcus, for those who may not know you uh, or know about you, uh, you're, you're X Two Sigma, X Google, X Amazon, uh, current ThoughtWorks. You want to give us kind of a little bit of a, a sort of an escalator pitch about who, who is Marcus and why we're going to listen to you today? Yeah, sure. Um, hopefully you'll listen to me because I'm not talking complete nonsense. But, um, yeah, I've been in uh, technical recruitment my entire uh, professional career, which is 20 plus years. I think you stopped counting at 20 years, right? So 20 plus years. Um, I've worked for some of those companies. I've also had a little bit of time at places like Skype and Twitter. 
Um, but yeah, what I do is uh, these days is run teams to uh, scale, um, hiring the, the best technical talent around the planet, essentially. So um, whether I'm New Jersey based or uh, Manchester based, it's about um, identifying uh, scalable, repeatable processes to to identify best of breed technical um, talent globally. Great, and you've got, uh, we've known you for quite a while and we, we just really enjoyed the time with you. Uh, but you got a, a topic we're gonna talk about today is transparency uh, within recruiting. And nobody sets this up better uh, than our own Jerry, because we're, we got a lot of, <laughs> Jerry wasn't expecting to do an intro. Okay, I love it. Uh, but but we've, we've been doing a little bit of work with various leaders in the space, both on, on the corporate side and on the, on the vendor side. Uh, around the topic of transparency and this interest and this, you know, increased focus on transparency on a couple of different levels. Jerry, do you want to kind of set the stage before we kind of open up a conversation around that? Yeah, I think I think one of the key issues that is the choke point, if we really look at the choke point in recruiting today, it has to do with access to information and the willingness of employers of, of really the system to provide us with with a transparency about what's going on either in an organization or in an industry or or in the marketplace and some of it some of it is accessible within um many different companies but but often isn't curated in a way that's useful for the recruiter um, or the candidate or the hiring manager etc in a way that that helps us understand what's going on. And so transparency is a key issue. I know that uh, at, lit, at some point, Chris can talk a little bit about the survey that we've done and different areas of transparency. But my area of interest and fascination is just this, this whole host of um, concern about what we know about pay internal in organizations and, and the issues around compression and, and so on. That, that are really truly impacting uh, really how we're doing our hiring. And now candidates are demanding a great deal more information. States in the United States are passing laws about pay transparency. Um, and yet we don't have an industry voice that says, here's, here's a baseline of what we should be doing from a practice point of view. And that's, I think, what we're trying to work on is how do we get agreement you know, in our industry to have a voice about what are the basic levels of transparency that we really need in order to move forward in the 21st century. So, so Marcus, is there an area when, when we talk about transparency within recruiting, is there an area that sort of stands out for you specifically? I mean, Jerry obviously feels very passionate uh, about a couple of different areas, but pay most, most prominently. Is there is there one that sort of stands out to you when you hear that term transparency within recruitment? Yeah, I mean, I think it's about the relationship between a recruiter and the candidate, right? It's about being able to be uh, setting expectations up front to deliver to those expectations, you know, to, to build a relationship. You know, it's not just about a numbers game. It's about relationship building. And the best recruiters on the planet are the ones who at the end of a three, six week process will have a great rapport with a candidate and be able to understand whether the offer that they're presented is going to be accepted or denied, you know, before, before sharing those numbers. Um, and then if a candidate is unsuccessful, 
it's also having that level of relationship to be able to give them some meaningful feedback about you missed in these areas. Um, uh, if you'd like to come back having addressed some of these areas, um, we'd love to have another conversation and hire you in the future. Um, that to me is transparency. And um, some companies, uh, including one of the larger retail companies from my from my CV and resume, um, have a very deliberate um, policy, which is in their every um, every signature sent out to a candidate, which is we will not give you feedback. Please do not offend us and you by asking. And you know, I think that's fundamentally wrong, right? I think we need to be more proactive and if, if if candidates are going to invest time and effort talking to us which we're begging them to do um we also have to be diligent enough to give them something meaningful to work on if, if they're you, not successful you I could argue you, you yeah. could argue that is a level of transparency don't ask me it is but i love your positioning of it as a relationship between the recruiter and the candidate or between the the employer and the candidate that's fronted by the the recruiter in some instances and potentially the hiring manager as well. So I I love that issue because then you know you can start talking about what does the recruiter need in terms of their knowledge about the job or the environment or the you know what the person's getting into that they need to be able to share with the candidate. And in my experience, by the way, world class recruiters don't care what the rules are inside of a corporation. They're going to tell the candidate what they believe uh, is the right thing for them to know in order for them to make the best decision for themselves. But that's that's a, a narrow band of really good quality recruiters out there. Well, look, gentlemen, I, I agree with you completely. But for the sake of argument, for the sake of education, I'm going to ask you, where does transparency end? from a recruiter standpoint, like just how much feedback is too much feedback or how much transparency into the process is too much? When is it detrimental to the process or to the candidate, if ever? Well, um, talking to two individuals who typically live in litigious US, I think the answer is too much is when your legal team tell you it's too much. Um, uh, that's definitely been the case in a couple of places I've worked in the past because you end up going down a route which potentially might lead to litigation as in i was not hired for reasons that i don't agree with um but bottom line is is you know if you are diligent about making sure that any debrief any decision at the end of the process um contains a discussion around candidate x passed because of these reasons or was not quite successful because of these reasons you should have enough to be able to pass on um, something meaningful and meaty for them to work on in the future. Um, there, you know, there's always a danger that with a non-technical recruiter, when talking to a technical candidate, that you can get lost in this sort of spiral of, I don't, I'm not as technical as you, and therefore I can't really. Um, if you push back, I don't know what to respond to. But the good recruiters um, ask the right questions as they do at the start of a process of a candidate to, to qualify a candidate. Hopefully they're asking the right questions of hiring managers and the, and the business to be able to relate back. In some companies, it's done by the hiring manager for this very reason, because they're able to talk turkey, if you will, when it comes to the sort of technical knowledge, um, because they'll be, they would have been working on the same technical team together. 
Um, but in many, it's on it's it's behooven of the recruiter to deliver that, and they have to be comfortable with delivering the right message from the debrief and from what's been shared with them previously. Yeah, Jerry, do you feel the same way? Is it is it is it just to the point of litigiousness to the to the point of risk mitigation that we we stop? Well, I think it's I would define litigiousness in terms <laughs> a big of word, really. a big word for me. <laughs> in terms of whether or not the lawyer in my company is telling me what I have to do or or helping me to defend what I know is the right thing to do. And that's there's a big difference there. Mm -hmm. There are a number of us in, in our history of recruiting who may have gotten sued and won because we did the right thing, even though it created a little bit of a hassle internal to the organization. And, and obviously, lawyers always want to reduce risk. What we want to do, obviously, is create reward opportunities um, and engage you know, our brand, if you will. And so, uh, so this, this issue of where to end, I do think is an important one because there are a number of companies that lack quality information to be able to give feedback. So part of it is cleaning their data and having a system, systematic um, and intentionally systematic approach to how they collect information on which the selection decision is made and until you can do that, you really can't give feedback uh, because you got random, you know, random information and gut feel that's gone into the selection and nobody can define any of that shit. But that's not recruiting. That that to me is some kind of random way that that people get into jobs, but it's not it's not a profession of recruiting. And so I yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of the fact that you've got to get your foundation in order so that you have the ability to be transparent about it and your legal system can then defend what you're doing. Yeah, but it, it, it seems to me, Jerry, you're also talking about, and I don't disagree with you, but you're also talking about a level of uh, proficiency with a recruiter. So educating a recruiter on how to turn down a candidate, even if you're going to do it with a little more than you're just not the most qualified. We're in, we're in the 21st century. Let's upskill recruiters with a whole well, new set. But, but we're also we're also in an era where we have like remedial level recruiters who are getting paid big bucks in this you know super hiring phase that we all just went through, and now leaders are struggling with oh my oh my god do I really have these recruiters that I'm just not really sure what's happening in the space. We get we need to clean up our profession. Well, I mean, for sure, you know, for sure, you know, that's a piece of it. And and we need to be able to make it clear to candidates out there, the companies that, in fact, are doing that. And and we need to call out those that aren't. Yep. Just saying. I mean, I think I think it all comes down to objectivity versus subjectivity of hiring decisions. Right. So um, uh, part of the problem is, is. Uh, unless you're a interviewer who's taking diligent notes, Google standard was it needs to be almost a verbatim um, uh, copy of what has been asked, responded to in my qualification of that answer. That might be taking a little bit far, but until you have that level of detail in terms of your feedback versus a couple of tick marks and thumbs down, which doesn't really help us very much, it's very hard to get that level of objectivity of decision. And without the objectivity, you can't share anything meaningful in terms of feedback. 
Um, so it's a balance, right? Because at the same time, if I'm doing this during my entire interview with you <laughs> over, over Zoom, which is what we're using these days, you know, the, the rapport that I'm building you as a can with a, you as a candidate is again negligible, and so you may not listen to the feedback I give you afterwards anyway because you don't know who I am from Adam. All you've seen is the, cr the crust of my my board boarding head. <laughs> I do well, think you're that issue... in good company. I'll tell you. It is interesting, right? Because I think it does come back. Sorry, Jerry, it does come back to, uh, and I hate to use the word proficiency again, but maybe just the, that level of expertise or even compassion that, to Jerry's point earlier, a good, a really good recruiter inherently has. Like we know how to have a rapport with a candidate, whether it's on Zoom. Or whether way back in the day, some of us remember it was just on a phone call, right? So I, I do think it does come back to that a lot of times. I do think it takes time, though, for most recruiters to learn on their own how to do that in an authentic way uh, that that actually empowers the candidate to move on when, when we're rejecting them. Um, that's not a simple competency. We don't teach that in any way, shape, or form. So it is... It is a, a, a kind of narrow focus at the high end, but we need in the future to think about what is it that, that recruiters are going to need and their ability to reject candidates with quality data that allows for them to extend their brand to those that aren't gonna come on board is, is I think an important future competency that we should be assessing before we even hire a recruiter. Um, and so those are some of the issues that I think are going to be important. The feedback is, is probably the, 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 the most um, powerful value add, if you will, in recruiting that we can offer. There are other areas of transparency about the truth of the job itself. We know what is within this job description that in fact you're going to use or need on a regular basis. What is real versus what, what is what is likable, if you will. What is going to be critical to your success? What is your, what is your boss's uh, management style versus yours uh, in terms of what you need, the degree to which we can tell the truth about the environment that you're coming into that increases the success of somebody who can do the job but may not actually do it well, given the, the misalignment, if you will, to who they are versus the environment that is not used in selection uh, as often as it might be. So there's this transparency of conversation that, that builds that relationship that Marcus is talking about that really requires an, a deeper understanding of the job and what it requires beyond you know, skills, knowledge, and experience um, that we need to upskill recruiters around uh, if we're going to have that level of transparency. And then, of course, you know, just the issue of pay. Uh, on a global basis, we have all these different laws being passed in, in European countries, in states in the United States, um, about what we are supposed to do in relation to compensation to, a, to deal with equal pay for equal work. That, that fundamentally, I'm, I'm not sure we've really had a great, great set of conversations with our recruiters about how to do this well versus simply complying with these legal laws 
uh, versus how to how to make the best of this in an appropriate way. How do we understand? Uh, most recruiters don't understand how jobs and job offers are put together from a value point of view, True. on a market basis, on a responsibility basis, et cetera. And they need to know more about that so that they can explain that to candidates. Well, so let me ask a loaded question, because I think almost between the three of us, we've probably got 100 years of recruiting experience on the show right now. I have Don't that by myself. What you're do. <laughs> <laughs> we've probably got 100 years of recruiting experience. So I'll ask a loaded question uh, that may be its own show uh, on its own. But like, how did we get here to, to be in a place in, in a profession where transparency is such uh, an obstacle, such a hurdle for us to, to get around. Why, why is it so difficult for, for the recruiting industry? Um, <laughs> given that most of that hundred years is mine. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but a lot of it was the same. <laughs> um, I will tell you that the history of recruiting really did not go well, bode well for for candidates it had to do the basic uh, role of recruiting was to assume that there's an unlimited supply of candidates and and fundamentally you roll them into a line you make your choices get rid of the line and then start over again with the next job yeah. and most things so most of the practices did not really spend much time you know illuminating anything about the candidate because we weren't concerned about their decision we were concerned about whether we thought they could do the job and then sell them on doing it for us and and fundamentally that that kind of attitude is slow to change and continues today and we still don't have a good set of theory and practice about what the decision process is or should be for a candidate who can do the job but has to now decide whether that work is fundamentally aligned to the job the job to their aspirations for a career and their career in relation to their stage of life today and more and more candidates are concerned about blending if you will their work their career aspirations and their life stage so that they they obviously can get a lot of things done and that's what a lot of the conversation these days is about Jan, yeah, I wonder, yeah i wonder about incentives right i think akin to what i'm hearing from jerry recruiters are incentivized on most recruiters are not incentivized on candidate experience they don't have a net promoter score dedicated to their success it's all about bums and seats and how happy is my hiring manager that i feel 32 of his requirements in the last quarter not about the quality of the hire necessarily we, we don't do a very good job of being able to articulate quality of hire and maybe we need to sort of double incentivize rehires you know if we're talking about um giving meaningful feedback to allow people to reapply six months from now 12 months from now still be interested because of the level of uh, their candidate experience was sufficiently um, uh, positive that they want to talk to us in the future. Um, maybe we need to re-incentivize in some way. Maybe we need to apply that net promoter score. Maybe we need to find a way to say you get double points for a hire that 
you know previously didn't quite make it but you were able to to keep them in the loop you know point them in the right direction and then make sure that they were re-engaged later um but i think the, the the way that um the data that we use to measure recruiters today may not lend itself very well to applying the optimal candidate experience each time and make sure that quality of hire is 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 paramount i think that's a great point because we, ha we don't have a metric i mean people obviously behave in relation to what they're being measured on and 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 that's just a, a basic fundamental you know rule and so if we have a metric that deals with some aspect of what we're calling or have been calling candidate experience, and I think we may need to pivot towards a perception of fairness, that the process I went through, I thought was fair, even though I did not get the job, um, can empower me to want to return when I have what I've gotten as feedback um, you know, set so that I feel I'm more competitive for a future job, that kind of thing. And I don't know the answers to that, but I do think we need to really think more deeply about some of those and, and start building and experimenting with other kinds of measures of that, that have to do with the perception of the attitude and behavior of the candidate. And, and that, whether you call it candidate experience or perception of fairness or something else, uh, we're not capturing that. We're maybe giving feedback, but are we getting feedback that allows us to better understand the impact that we have on those people that we did not hire, for example, as well as those that we hire who may no longer be engaged? Well, and Jerry, I think the last couple of years, especially with the candies and your work with them, you have been sort of um, playing that tune of perceived fairness that where that has bubbled up in all of that research that that they do. That's fantastic over the candies. Uh, and I think a lot of that, that that feeling of fairness is about the feedback. I really think it is about the conversation and, the, and, the, and a level of transparency, maybe not fully transparent, but an increased level of transparency that, that goes an awfully long way towards that feeling yeah, heard, validated. I think one of the problems that I think we see is that people then say, well, we don't have, we can't invest in the time, energy, and effort to do all of that for all those people who have applied. But I don't think it's the same for the person who gave us their resume, if you will, or filled an application out, but we didn't go forward with. There's some level of feedback that they, they might be able to get that could be automated in a variety of different ways. Um, I do think that if you get to a, to one of the four or five people that were seen by a hiring manager, however, who the hiring manager says, boy, if, if the person who, ex who we just made the offer to does not accept it, absolutely, this is the number two person, you can make an offer to them automatically. That person, I want to keep really warm long term. Because fundamentally, I can sell that in a variety of different ways within the organization. That's a whole different level of, if you will, feedback and engagement around transparency that I, I don't think we've really built solid practices around. And, and that's an opportunity. I would agree with that. Marcus, look, um, if you haven't listened to the last few shows, and of course you have, you're probably one of our five subscribers, I want to ask you. <laughs> The question we're revving, we're revving up the show with, and that is, um, if you were going to write a book on the topic of transparency within recruiting, so it's our topic today, if you're going to write a book, what would the title of that book be? 
I mean, I think honestly, from a leading a team perspective, it's something around no ghosting, please. You know, it's, I don't think there is a worse practice within recruiting that gives us a worse name than to invest all the time and energy and uh, enthusiasm in the world talking to a candidate. And then at the end of the process, because you're not quite sure what you're going to say to them and because you're a little bit uncomfortable because you promised them these this wonderful world that we have to offer here, that you you know, that you sort of disappear and, and, and almost by osmosis, you expect them to understand they've been rejected. Or even worse, the first they hear about it is when they get the candidate survey telling them they've been rejected from the process. You know, um, I think that's the that's the fundamental bit is, you know, I, I mentioned at the start, it's all about relationship building. What better way to destroy your relationship than by uh, refusing to engage with somebody who invested time and energy? Yes, there's a line in the process where it's probably not scalable if you've got a thousand applicants a month to send everyone to have a conversation with everybody. But if they've entered the process and had a physical conversation with somebody within your company, I think you have a fundamental right to pick up the phone and reject them over the phone. Yeah, I love it. And then, uh, all right. And the, and the follow up question we're doing for everybody is who gets the first signed copy of it? And what do you write in there? Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> no pressure. It, I, I didn't know this question, so it does make it a bit more difficult. Who is the first signed copy of it? Um, uh, I gotta say, it's probably someone like uh, very early days uh, uh, learning about the importance of candidate experience. Um, there's probably a couple of people from that, but you know, uh, in terms of maintaining that sort of relationship and that sort of uh, fundamental. Um, quality of quality of candidate experience above all others um i'm afraid jerry has to get the first copy of it <laughs> you're, you're perpetuating this argument i've heard it at points in my career i definitely beat the drum when i can i think it's fundamental to our candidates to get some level of feedback they tell us it loud and clear and in, in the in the um when we ask them for surveys on their candidate experience but uh honestly i think uh jerry is clearly an advocate of this and uh needs to be beating the drum more so if i can take on that mantle at some point so be it you can have a first copy cool I love it. good stuff well marcus hang around i'm going to shove you over in the green room for a little bit but first thank you so much uh for for your time today we know you're super busy and we appreciate you dialing in from all the way across the water regardless of how many numbers or letters are after your name <laughs> thanks all right, good stuff. Let's put everybody over there in the green room. Really quickly, I just want to share, we've got some stuff that's coming up uh, June 15th. Uh, we've got our MIA Q2 uh, community meeting, uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun. It's your chance to build a network and discuss regional challenges and discuss uh, key tech resources with the EMEA teams and, and the members within CXR. We also have a CXR workshop coming up that is how to lead a design thinking session. We're going to teach you how to do that. Uh, and then also coming up on June 21st, I'll share, this woman's been a saint. She is, uh, it's Christine Brown, and she is the recipient of this year's CXR Foundation Scholarship. And the reason she's been a saint is not only because she's awesome, uh, and we selected her to, to be that recipient, but we've rescheduled her three times. So we're, we're really appreciative uh, of her flexibility in the schedule there. So with that, I'm going to encourage everybody to head out to cxr.org slash events. You can see everything else uh, that's coming up, cxr.org slash podcast. Uh, so you can go ahead and subscribe and like and join one of those other five people that are with us uh, every week when you do this on Tuesdays. And until then, we'll see everybody next time. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to the CXR channel. Please subscribe to CXR on your favorite podcast resource and leave us a review while you're at it. Learn more about CXR at our website, cxr.works, facebook.com and twitter.com slash career crossroads and on Instagram at career X roads. We'll catch you next time.